You know, it was not by random choice that the book of Proverbs is in our foundation. You know, I love Proverbs, so quick, quick pass through Proverbs. Today's the 8th, so I picked chapter 8, verse 11. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Good one for the day. I love the book, book of Proverbs. Um, maybe you think sometimes, you know, you wonder, how can my boss just... I don't get chosen to be promoted or, or, or maybe you go home and when you think about it, you just have concluded that your wife doesn't really respect you like you would like her to or, or, and, and, and you think that down inside, as you look at yourself, you think, you look in there, you think, you know, I, I know I'm not perfect. God's working on me. And, you know, Remember the bumper sticker, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Remember those bumper stickers? I mean, you think those, thring, th- those things, and there's something in you that says, you know, I can become a little bit more than I've been in the past. And so you do, um, you, do you, you want to do those things, and, but they sometimes seem too big. They seem too big. And, um, you know, we, we look sometimes at those great big things. And today I want to talk to you about, instead of big things, I want to talk to you about some little things. I want to talk about thoughts. I want to talk about words and actions. I want to start today a new series that's going to go for about four weeks. And I'm calling it Little Things, Big Difference. Little Things, Big Difference. In January, that's about the time traditionally people start thinking about it, um, you know, from about, oh, I'd say Thanksgiving through the end of the year. They start thinking about, I think I'll do a New Year's resolution. Here's what I'm going to do starting at the beginning of the year. Okay, And so a lot of pastors traditionally will do a New Year's resolution kind of message or series starting in January. It makes perfect sense. And having done a few New Year's resolutions personally for less than a year, <laughs> I, I've thought at times, you know, I ought to consider addressing that whole topic sometime in the middle of the year instead. So although I don't want to talk to you about New Year's resolutions, I want to talk about what goes on in us that gets us there. Because I think a lot of people start out the very beginning of the year and, and they've got this plan and they've got, they've got this optimism and, and they've got some faith and they've got some hope that they're going to do something and that this year will be the year that things are going to change in their life. Or this year will be the year that things maybe will change for someone that they love that could actually be different. And, you know, maybe... Back at the beginning of this year, some of you had plans. You know, maybe you were thinking, like I was thinking, I'm going to get in better shape this year. You could tell I'm not doing very good at that. I mean, I, I, I think I'm going to lose some weight. Um, I'm going to eat better. And I did eat better for a few meals, I'm sure of it. You know, I, I mean, I ate some green food this year. We're in June. The year's not over yet. I just know this, and the people volunteering on the building project this week know that I taught them all something. Every sandwich is better when you put potato chips on the inside. (laughs) It makes every sandwich better. I don't care what kind of sandwich it is. Try it. By the way, that's free. Here's another one, rabbit trail. Potato chips on top of pizza. Also a great, great move. Yeah. (laughs) People that like thick, doughy crust pizza don't get it. But if you like a crunchy pizza, potato chips has got it going on. Okay, anyway, so that, that has nothing to do. You know, it's no wonder that my goals have not. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe beyond those obvious things that so many people pick on, you know, maybe you said to yourself, I'm going to be, I'm going to, this year I'm going to try and be more spiritually focused. I'm going to, I'm going to, or, or I'm going to try and spend more time with my kids. I think I hear that one a lot. Or I'm going to get better handling the money that comes through my fingers. Or, 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 or some of you said, you know, this is the year, I'm going to quit, you know, some annoying habit that you've got. And, and then whatever it would be, I, I just really pray that God is giving you the power and enabling you to succeed at those things, because I think those, it's good to set goals. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, we, we think that somehow that when January comes, it's kind of like the lifetime equivalent of pass and go. Remember, you know, pass and go. You ever play? Does anybody play Monopoly anymore? Some of you remember it. You, just by going by, the banker hands you 200 bucks. I drive by a lot of banks. Nobody's run out and said, here's your $200 yet. And there's no such thing as free parking. Um, you know, I mean, but we think, okay, I'll be juiced back. I'll be able to get going again in January because something happens in January where you think you're going to do these things. And, um, you know, it's almost like a psychological thing. But the truth is, we can make change in our life anytime. It doesn't have to happen in January, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know of anybody 
Anybody, though, that says, okay, it's the middle of November, I'm going to start eating right, right before Thanksgiving. Nobody says that right before. We think it, I'm going to get through and I'm not going to eat quite so bad this season. That never works for me. Uh, People have learned that the corner of the brownies belongs to me. It's part of the Fisher tax at our house. And now people around here know that, and I I get these, and I love it. You know, I can't, I mean, it's, it's my job. It's my job to eat those corners. It just doesn't seem to go that way. So, but sometimes also, we, we also then have a tendency to look at the lives of people we know. And particularly in the areas where we're weak, we'll notice their strength. You notice that? I mean, I've got friends that are healthy, and they eat right, and they exercise right, and they look different than I look. And I look at that, and you know, it seems like, at least in that area of their life, they've got their act pretty well together. And, I mean, it's kind of intimidating, it can even be discouraging to, you know, you think they're so much better at this than I am, and, and I know there's some big things that need to happen in my life, and um, I, I have no idea sometimes how to get these big things done. And we've had this vision, we've had this goal, this plan, and then over time, we get a little bit discouraged, and I've made fun of it, but, but we, what we do is we let the vision go. We think we'll come back to that vision later. But I've got some good news for you today. I mean, I really... You know, you'd expect that. I suppose you would expect me to say that. But I really believe that it's not the big changes that we need to make. I think, and here's the key thought for this message series for the next several weeks. It's, it's often the little things that no one sees that lead to the big things that everybody wants. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really important. It's often the little things that nobody sees that lead to the big things that everybody wants. Years and years ago, I was pretty new as a Christian. I was working in a secular job, and there was a guy that I was hanging out with quite a bit, and I really admired this guy. He was a little bit older than me, not much. And, um, you know, he didn't call himself a Christian. He just was one. And, um, you know, the guy, his, his, his walk seemed to me to be a very, very powerful, vibrant, authentic walk. And, you know, when things would come up, and he wouldn't just answer and respond. There would, you could almost see gears turning his head as the Lord was giving him this card catalog full of scriptures that might apply, and out would come this wisdom, this, you know, this thing. And it seemed like he always was being led by the Spirit of God and, you know, all the things that he did. And one time I basically said to him, hey, you know, what's your big secret? How, how you know, what's, what's the, what are the big things that you've done to get yourself in this kind of, you know, place? And he said, honestly, you know, years ago, things really changed for me when I just decided that I was going to try and read through the Bible. I'm going to try and do it every year. You know, cover to cover. And, and, he, and he said, that really helped me become grounded in the things of God. Read the whole Bible. And I'm thinking, the whole Bible? Have you actually seen the whole Bible? I mean, I... <laughs> Have you actually looked at some of that stuff in there? You scratch your head when you read it. It doesn't make sense. Somebody begat somebody. Be, I get the begat. I get the process. But why do I need this list of names? And you know, our mind automatically goes to those sections of scripture that don't seem to leap off quite as as much as David killed Goliath's story, right? And 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 I'm thinking, not only that, it's huge. I mean, little itty bitty print. The thing is thick. There's not very many pictures. And I, you know, I mean, it used to be my favorite part of the Bible was the maps because they're color pictures. You can read them and, you know, and, um, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't know. That's a lot. And he, and, and he said, no, you know, it's really not that big a deal. I, I spend about 15 minutes. This is him telling me. I spend about 15 minutes a day. And if you spend about 15 minutes a day, you can get through the whole Bible in a whole year. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, okay, I like what I see. It seems huge to me. He's saying it's done in little bitty steps. I think I'm going to try and do that. And I started thinking, you know, maybe I could do that. And so I looked at his plan, and he, you know, he's doing 15 minutes a day, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I can do that every day, because some days, no. Other days, yes. And then I looked at my own life, and I thought, okay, how can I break this down into terry size pieces. Well, at the time I was working for this big corporation and I was a manager, so I had some control over my time. And um, I spent um, a lot of time in relational 
settings with people that I was leading and so forth. And then I would add on top of that, I would spend time with them all during the lunch hours. And, and I started thinking, you know, if I just take my lunch hour and go off by myself, there's at least 15 minutes there, you know, 45 minutes for jamming stuff in and, <laughs> and 15, there's at least 15 minutes, you know, and I got into this habit of instead of going to lunch with these friends, I said I would walk to my car and drive to a city park. That process would take me 10, 12 minutes. And I sat there, and I would just read the Bible all through my lunch hour. And I got to love in that time. It was quiet. The birds would chirp, or the rain would pitter-patter. I didn't care. It was quiet. And I was actually there, seated in my car, alone, and with the Word of God. And I really got to like that time. In fact, it, 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 for me, that worked for me may not work for you, but it worked for me, and I found out that I was spending way more than 15 minutes, and I got through the whole Bible twice in that next year. And that includes not really reading it on Saturdays and Sundays except for church. You know, you have to read it in church because some guy's going to put it on the wall in front of you. You get to read it in church. But, but really, I mean, I read through it twice, and I took a lot of days off from reading the Bible. And I started seeing things change in Terry's life. And I, over the years, I, I did that over and over, and I read the Bible over and over and over. And um, there were a lot of days I didn't read it, but in the aggregate of the whole over thing, I've read the Bible many, many times. Many times. And it was just a small change, this little change for Terry. How I spent my lunch hour has turned into a fairly large, dramatic difference in my walk and my relationship with God. Um, I was talking to um, a marriage counselor, and, um, and when I get around people like that that are kind of in the business of helping people, I like to pick their brains. Um, and I've got a couple of people that I run into regularly that, that, that that's their profession. And I said to one of them, I said, you know, you deal with a lot of marriages that are kind of upside down. Single out a couple of things that um, would be what you would tell them to do to be healthy in a marriage. I mean, what, what, and this is what he said. The, the most important thing he said was that, that, that Christian, especially Christian marriage couples could do. He says, if they want to have a great marriage, pray together every day. I said, well, what does that look like? Does that mean like 30 minutes of burning your knees on the carpet? What, what, what does that look like? He says, no, it doesn't, it'd be 30 seconds or 30 minutes but every day, just, just a few words in agreement together before God. And the reason is, he said, you know, they, they do it the way that they're comfortable. But, but here's the deal. If you're praying together, you're probably talking together. If you're, if you're praying together, then you have some spiritual connection together. And here's the, the backstory: It's really hard to pray with somebody you hate. It is. There's something healthy about choosing to pray together. And, and maybe that's not something you're comfortable to do. Um, it's something that can be learned. And, but it's just a small discipline that makes a big difference in a marriage. And I just really believe with, with all my heart that you and I can have a very, very different outcome for the rest of this year and off. And because the chances are that the big things... Uh, it's not the big things that we do, but it's often the little things that no one sees that result in big things that everybody wants. Another example, um, another personal example for Elisa and me is that we um, got into this habit of every day when our kids would go to school, we prayed with them, prayed over them. There were times we prayed over them because they weren't with us, but almost every day we prayed with them. And it was brief as they would go off to school. I mean, every day, mostly in person. And, And it's not like, you know, it wasn't an exercise in burning the rug. It was 15 or 30 seconds. I mean, a long prayer would be 60 seconds, and that's rare. It'd be 15 to 30 seconds. Lord, protect them today. Help them be influencers of, of the people around them not being influenced. Help them to, to learn well and to love you and love people. Bring them safely home. Now, how long did that example take? 10 seconds. I don't know. But we did this with our children, and it wasn't trite. It was sincere, and it was brief, and it was prayed at their level of understanding. And, um, I mean, it, it affected all three of our kids, one of whom is sitting here today. But I want to mention how it affected our, our oldest, our firstborn, Ben. And I don't know if he would ever connect these dots. 
but I've kind of connected them in my mind. You know, Ben and Junko live out of town um, up north, and uh, they come and visit with us regularly. You know, a couple times a month we see them at least. And um, th- sometimes they spend the night with us, and other times we just, we're in their area and we meet together over a hamburger or something. And when we're done and we're ready to part our ways, Ben will not leave unless we've prayed together. He, he just, he, he couldn't get on the school bus without us praying. And today, there is something in him that needs for us to pursue God in whatever small way, but it's got to be there. He just can't leave. I mean, and it's, it's, a, it's a quality that I'm glad to have in a son who values pursuing God at any level. I think that's such a good thing. Our little, little itty-bitty investments... <laughs> over time have built this desire for pursuing God. And it's just a little thing that has created this big difference. Today, I want to, um, to build a foundation for where we're going to go. And we're going to actually start in a book called Zechariah in chapter four. And if you don't know where that is, it's in the Old Testament. The last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. It's right before then. And it's a, it's a small book. And uh, after we break down what we're going to do in there, I want to come up with one very specific very direct assignment I'm going to ask you to, to take on. I'm going to, and I'm going to ask you to focus on one small thing that I believe is going to make a very big difference. So let me give you a little bit of context, the background story for Zechariah 4. Now, the children of Israel had been, um, you know, the, 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 the nation had been invaded. They'd been carried off. Um, they were in exile. And um, during the time that this was written, the temple had previously been destroyed and uh, God's people had been in captivity. So it was a real low point in their history. And the people, they finally got permission for some of them to come back. And uh, the people that were allowed to return were generally the people that were the poorest people. They didn't have much or anything, so they were the poorer among the captives. And they come back, they've been given permission, and they're concerned because they don't have a house for God. And so there's no church, so they're in a church building project. Just like us, church building project. And um, so now these people are a little bit discouraged. They're depressed, maybe. This is about 500 years before Jesus. And um, this guy named Zerubbabel is the one that leads them back. Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. And um, he, it's about 50,000 people that are making this journey back. Okay, so they head back. And they're kind of amped because they've been released. You know, they're, they're juiced up a little bit. But they, and they've got this new hope that they're going to start this fresh thing. And about... 18 years later, God finally speaks to this guy named Zerubbabel. And he says, I'm going to give you the power to rebuild the temple. So we're going to pick this up in Zechariah 4, starting in verse 6. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In other words, the Lord says the temple is going to be built in a way that you don't get credit for it but it's going to be by my spirit. Everybody say spirit, spirit, by the Lord's spirit. Not by force, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And here's the thing. I really believe that you and I can come up with a list and we can try to make changes. We can try to do things on our own power. And you might even make some incremental improvements in your life and you really can make some improvements because you try. Um, But... If you tap into a power that exceeds your power, and if you tap into something greater than the power that you possess, the power of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit's power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm not going to teach on that today, but it's, you find that in 2 Corinthians. And, and he says that it's not by our effort. It's not by our might. It's not by our power but it's by his spirit that he can transform you. We had a church staff meeting this week and we were talking about this because I really believe that we have a very gifted group of leaders who lead all the different ministries here and they're talented, they love God, and they're called, they're anointed. You can see fruit in their lives and in their ministry. And as we talk about vision for what the Lord wants and calls us as a church to do and for their different departments, you know, I just felt prompted to read the scripture because it's not on them to produce fruit. It's by the Spirit of God that those things happen. If this church is going to grow and make a difference in our community, it won't be just because you are such swell people, although you are. You have wonderful hearts. It'll be by the Spirit of God, though. And it's amazing the things that are going on that have been 
you know, I, I don't have time for it today, that the Spirit is doing in, in our community through people here. And we don't get to take credit for it. We wouldn't want to take credit for it anyway. It's not by our effort or our might or our power, but by the Spirit of the Lord that he transforms. Um, I, I was, um, we, were, we decided at one point year, years ago to change the flooring in our house. And we had carpet everywhere. And it seems like the kids would track in mud everywhere or whatever. So we decided we were in the moving from the carpet to the tile floor era of our family. Okay, they were little. We needed something more bulletproof. And the house that we, were, we, were, um, we, we, we lived in had... Um, flooring made of car decking. Now, if you don't know what that means, it's, it's they're like two by sixes, they're tongue and groove, and you put the grooves together and you nail them down. Okay, so what, Terry? Well, the, the point is this, that it was an older house, and um, if you have a car decking house, you'll know what I'm talking about. The floors squeak everywhere. It doesn't matter how old or new it is. In 10 minutes after the, 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 the building is finished, the floors start squeaking in a, in a car decking house. And over a while, that kind of drove me crazy. And so we, um, we're trying to figure out how to put the tile in. And I don't know how to do that, but I'm willing to try. And so we have this friend. I'm just going to call him um, Dave the Tile Guy. Some of you know Dave the Tile Guy. Um, and I don't think he would mind me telling you the story. He's a great tile guy. And so um, he comes to our house, and this is back a few years, and I said, Dave, we've got to do something about the squeaks, because if, 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 if the tile goes on top and it still squeaks, there's no, no remedy, it bugs me. He says, well, what you've got to do is you've got to put sheeting down everywhere and put these screws, and he hands me a handful of these big, long, aggressive-looking screws, put them down in the floor, and I'm thinking, all right, how many? He says, it's a lot, a kajillion screws. You've got to just, so much screw weight that the house might collapse under the weight of the screws. And so I'm thinking, okay. And so I go in there and I get a screwdriver. Now don't act so smart, okay? <laughs> and I start putting in my screw. And Dave, the towel guy, he comes in and says, hold on a minute, what are you doing? I said, well, putting in the screw. He says, don't you have one of these? And okay, he pulls out this green magic thing. It was, it was a Makita four, or 12 volt, I mean, cordless drill. Now, I'd never seen one before. Do you guys remember back to the very first cordless drill? I've since gone through about 27 of them by now. But I mean, at that point, it was, my eyes opened up. Angels, yes. <laughs> Try this, he says. <laughs> you know, I became a screwing fool. I mean, just putting the screws in everywhere. And, <laughs> and I said, honey, new rule. If we do a project, I have to go buy a new tool. I ran to Home Depot and I bought my own cordless drill. And the thing is this, you know, that would have taken me forever. I would have given up. I might have tried it in starts and stops if I had done it always in my own strength. And every once in a while... In our life, we need the amazing Dave the Tile Guy to step in with new power in our life. Did I just call God Dave the Amazing Tile Guy? It was a different story, an analogy that you might have connected. I did not call God Dave the Tile Guy. You can try your best to make these changes, but when you tap into the Spirit of God, there's a strength beyond anything you can ever muster on your own. And some of you have tried for years to change something in your life. You try to improve something, and it will change, but it won't be by your might. Those things can change your life. It's not going to be by your power. It'll be by the Spirit of the Lord. And I think for some of you, that's a prophetic word for you today. The Lord is confirming, I, I've been telling you I want to change this. Finish with all of your attempts, and then we'll get down to business, and let your Father go to work for you. God says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my power to, to rebuild the temple. So we're back in Zechariah now, we're verse 7. Nothing, the word says, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. In other words, when God calls you to do something, there is no force on earth that can stop you from getting where the Lord has called you to be. He goes on to say, and when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. I love the fact that before the construction starts, before the project the Lord has called you to do starts, he already sees the end. God already sees that end. 
And he knows that, that's, that it'll, you'll get there if you surrender to his power. Verse 8. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Now, the initial phases, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. The initial phases of the construction kind of started slowly for them. I mean, there were some issues in their construction project. They were getting some resistance from their government. My brothers. Um, there was some secular resistance. People that, that were around them that had nothing to do with God but just didn't like to see God accomplishing things. There were other people of other faith that were resisting. So, you know, it's, 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 they were, it was, things were going kind of slowly at first. And if you read in, in, in Ezra, you'll find out that people actually came to visit the construction site and they cried. The word doesn't tell us why they cried, so there's a lot of speculation about it. And there's two basic schools of thought. The first, the first one is that people, that p- people believe, some people believe that they were so happy to see the construction of the, of the house of the Lord that they were overwhelmed with happiness and they cried. They were so happy. Um, the, but more people, more scholars tend to believe something a little different. They believe that um, it was because they were embarrassed. They, they, they felt that what was being built compared to what the Lord had had before and what they felt he deserved was, was unimpressive. You know, they're thinking, you know, this is so pathetic. It's just like just a pile of rocks almost, and it's never going to amount to anything. And the reality is, sometimes that's how we feel. I mean, you go to the gym, you get on the treadmill, you huff and you puff, you go to the gym, you get on the treadmill, you huff and you puff, and after all this time, you've lost one pound. <laughs> And you think, I mean, I try to make all these changes and I work at this and I, I, you know, I try to stop doing this thing and I do really good and then after a little bit of time, I fall back into it. And we're embarrassed by these little, tiny, small beginnings. And verse 10 says this thing. And I hope this will encourage some of you. Verse 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You know, um, I wasn't. I didn't have this in my notes, um, but I'll share this because I think Lisa wouldn't mind. But we had a discussion earlier this week. You know, yes, we do have a discussion once in a while. By that I mean there was some friction. friction would be one word. <laughs> and the discussion um, was Lisa sharing with me. I mean, this was on me, not on her. But she was a little disappointed about some things and um, things that I said I would get done and hadn't get, got done. And um, Okay, now guys, you can all start squirming now. <laughs> Wives, keep your elbows in for the next few minutes. And, um, you know, I looked at these things and I think, you know, I'm busy. i got lots going on and I'm... Da, 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 all these explanations for why I hadn't done what I said I would do. And she didn't say, I'm not asking you to do all these things. I just like to see you start somewhere. Get, get started on some of these things. Small beginnings. And the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And I didn't get this when you said it, but when I was studying, I thought, I get this now. She rejoices to see the work begin. I'm <laughs> Yesterday, no joke, yesterday I'm working on my message and I'm going through this and I'm reviewing it. When I preach like this, I might go through the message seven or eight times, and I go through this, and I read this, and I'm thinking, rejoices, see, that's what Lisa said. I stopped what I was doing, and I went and found one of those projects, and I thought, I'm getting this done, and I got it done. (laughs) Oh, rejoices to see the work being, the Lord just, it says, rejoices to see you be faithful in these small things. And one of our problems is we look at these people around us who are maybe better than in those areas and we get intimidated. The thing is, we see their highlight reels, right? But we know our behind-the-scenes reels. And then we get intimidated. And it's like, it's like, you know, okay, David. The Bible says about King David, it says he was a man after God's own heart. Wow. You know, this is the guy that took down Goliath. He was mighty. And I want to take down my own giants. And we forget this. Though. We forget that, that before all of that, he was faithful, standing out in the fields for years, taking care of those little harmless sheep. Faithful day in. Faithful through the rain. 
faithful when animals would come and they would be aggressive. He would chase away the, the, the predators that would come. Faithful. And he would run them off. He was learning to be faithful in these little tiny things so that God could trust him later with big things. I mean, here's one. I, I hear these when I get sometimes around women. Um, people, they look at Ruth and Boaz and they say, you know, I want a husband like Boaz. He had, to be, he had to be handsome just with a name like Boaz. I mean, but I want a husband like Boaz. And, and <laughs> you know, but we forget that, you know, with Ruth was faithful to Naomi when she didn't have to be. She didn't have to stay there and be faithful. She chose it and she was faithful for so long in little things for, for years. And it was that faithfulness, I believe, that opened the doors, that God opened the doors of blessing to her through Bo, through Boaz. <laughs> It was these little things that nobody saw that resulted in the marriage that, 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 that everybody wanted. You know, look at David, or Daniel, you know, we think about Daniel, and he's another great one. You know, his faith stand in the lion's den, and you know, his faith is unwavering. And, and we forget, though, before he was standing there in the lion's den, that for years, his habit was three times every day, he'd stop what he was doing and kneel down and just take a few minutes and sought, sought after God in prayer. Just, and I don't know what that looked like, but it was enough that he stopped what he was doing and pursued God just for a few minutes, three times. You know, what do you think, what kind of faith do you think you would build up if you decided to stop what you were doing three times a day and say, God, you got anything to say? I'm here. Okay. I'll talk to you again in a few minutes because maybe you will by then. I mean, three times a day and he learned this pursuit of God. It's the little things that nobody sees that makes such a big difference. When I was um, high school age, basketball was pretty important to me, and there was a guy named John Wooden. He was a coach at UCLA, and people my age will know who John Wooden is. If, you're, if you've ever looked into leadership, if you're a coach, you probably know John Wooden. He was a prolifically successful coach for, for basketball at UCLA. Um, I think teams under his headship won the NCAA title the national championship like 11 times. He, his teams won seven years in a row. 19, late 60s. Seven years in a row they won. They were unstoppable. That's unheard of. That's, that's, that's you know, and, and if he has all kinds of leadership information out there, you know, and if you read his books and him talking about coaching, you'll find out what his first practice was like. Here's the thing, it wasn't. His first back basketball practice was, you know, he wasn't out there running drills. You don't go and run sprints. You're not practicing free throws or play formation or passing the ball. The very first practice, he would take his players and sit them down, and they would practice putting on their socks and putting on their shoes and lacing up their shoes. Why? Because he figured that if you didn't put your socks on right, you get blisters. And if you have blisters, you can't be as aggressive when the game starts. And he made a really, really important special point that that team was going to care about the details because they matter. Details matter. And, and here's a quote from John Wooden. He said, it's the little things that are vital. Little things make big things happen. Little things make big things happen. I love that. I mean, it's often the little things that nobody sees that lead to the big things that everybody wants. So in these upcoming next couple of weeks, I wanna, we're going to focus on three important areas. We're going to focus on our thoughts, our words, and our habits. And, and that's important because our thoughts become words. They go from thinking and they, and our, they become words. And then our words become actions. And then our actions become habits Habits relate to your values, and then your values create your destiny. So we're going to work through the three of those pretty soon. Next, next week, we're going to learn to make some small changes in our thoughts because the scriptures say, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. You want to change your life, start by changing your thoughts. The week after that, we're going to talk about our words because scripture says that there's power of death and life in the words. In fact, this is a mini premarital class right this moment. There's power of life and death in our words. If, if I only could say one thing to a couple, if I could only say one thing to a couple in premarital counseling, it would be th that scripture. Because the things we say today plant something. 
that's going to grow and sprout later. Plant the things today that you want coming up three years from now in your marriage. Not stuff you don't want popping up there. Think that through. Anyway, we're going to talk about our words. And um, if you want to change your life, that's a good one. Change the words that you speak. And then the last one, we're going to talk about habits. Because we become the things that we repeatedly do. And so if you want to become a different person, change your habits. We're going to make some small changes in the way we think, in the way we speak, and in the way we behave. And I, I really believe that it'll be in these little tiny changes that we make that nobody else sees. They're going to lead to the big things that everybody wants. When you focus on one thing, it's just really amazing what you'd accomplish. I, I did a brief study in the Word of God, my computers helped me with this, on the phrase, one thing in the Bible. It's kind of interesting. You put the phrase, how many times and where does it show up, the phrase, one thing in the Bible? And it's actually a pretty common phrase. I think that I probably found it 50 or 60 times. Um, here's, here's, I'll give you a couple examples. The Old Testament, King David again. He was, he was known as a man after God's own heart. That's how God describes him. And you can read that. And, and, and he said this, one thing that I want, one thing that I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, if your number one thing is to be in the presence of God, scripture says that you could be a man or you could be a woman after God's own heart. That one thing, there's a lot of focus and in, in, in a lot of power in that kind of focus. Paul, um, you know, in the New Testament, who I think was probably one of the greatest apostles, um, he had a really hard past. You know, he had a lot of troubles. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was left for dead. He was snake bitten. I mean, you know, he was hungry. He was stoned. Not the kind you do in Washington or Colorado kind of stone. Um, and instead of thinking about all of the stuff that had gone wrong in his life and all the hard things he faced, here, here are his words. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, I press on, straining on towards what's ahead. Philippians 3. He says, I'm not going to let my past define my future. God has something more for me. So this one thing I do, one thing, one thing, not one thing, is I'm going to forget all that. I'm going to move on towards my future. One thing. Because when you focus on one thing, it's amazing what God can do. But when you miss that one thing, it's a, it's a blessing sometimes that we can miss. You know, Jesus, Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha, and you read this in Luke 10. Um, Mary was in, you know, sitting and enjoying the presence of Jesus, and Martha's in the back room somewhere. She's wigging out because the, the tea's lukewarm and the plates don't match, okay? Or something like that. Am I going to be in trouble later for that? I don't know. I don't know why I'm asking you this, ma'am. Do I know you? Anyway, she's wigging out because the stuff's not, you know, like she thinks it ought to be. And Jesus says, Martha, you know, you're upset about so many things, but, but only one thing is needed. And he says, Mary, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, she says, Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, he's saying, you know, you're missing the most important one thing. In Jesus, in another place, he, he encounters this very, very successful young businessman who's wealthy and he's really you know, got things. And, and, and the young man wants to follow Jesus. And the problem was that he had material possessions that were so important to him, they were in the way. There's nothing wrong with material possessions until they get between you and God. So Jesus was able to discern. The problem wasn't that the young man was successful and rich. The problem was that those material possessions now had gotten in his way between him and God. And Jesus says, you know, you only lack one thing. Only one thing, just one thing, he says, you know. And if you get this one thing right, you can probably help change the world. He says, so here's your one thing. Go sell that stuff. Don't let it weigh you down anymore. And then come and follow me. And the guy went away, went away sad because he just was unwilling to do the one thing that could change his life. It's amazing what focus can actually bring. And it's small things that nobody sees that, that often lead us to the big things everybody wants. So here's your assignment that I'm going to give you your assignment for, for, for between now and next week. It's very simple, very focused. I'm going to be very direct with you. It's very doable. I'm challenging you to, to do this, to get as focused as you can and seek God for one specific word, just a word that will define and help guide and lead you for the rest of this year at least.
Now, I'm not asking you to come up with a New Year's resolution. I'm not asking you to come up with three New Year's resolutions because if you get three, you won't do any of them probably. I mean, I'm just asking you to look for one word and I'll help you understand what that means. And then after you've done that, I want you to also put a verse to it. And that's important because this is going to be accomplished not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. And he will empower us to move forward. And, and you, I'm telling you, if you'll do this, you won't believe how different the rest of your year will be. You won't believe how this will change your life when you focus on one God-breathed, God-breathed word. Um, it'll change the direction of your life. I'm, I'm going to tell you how this has impacted me. I'll give you an example um, how this I've used this in my own life and in my ministry and in the church, church ministry over time. Years ago, you, most of you know my background, I was leading, I'm part of a large church, and I was, I was in a role, role where I was overseeing a very large church staff. In fact, I think at one time, I was signing over 100, and, over 100 paychecks. Now, about half of those were at daycare, so you take the daycare out of it, that still left over 50 church staff paid employees, most of them full-time. Okay, so you got the picture. It's a big staff. And um, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm, at that point, I'm the executive pastor. So I'm pretty much everybody's boss and all, all the stuff going on. Authority over the money and over authority over hiring, all that stuff. A lot going on. And so um, the staff, many of them, would come to me for permissions for different things. They would come for approval. They would come for money. They would come for other things. And they would come for money. And then, you know, because... It's true of almost all churches everywhere. Leaders can think up more things to do than the money you have for. We can think up, that's just a fact of life. And so they would come to me. And, and I would say over time, and I'm not proud of this. I'm just going to unzip here and share this with you. Over time, I started feeling like a pack mule. I mean, I felt like my value to these people I was leading was my ability to sign a check. It didn't make me feel very good. And by the way, there was varying levels of maturity of getting the most mileage for the Lord's money, okay? Some people would successfully, you know, use it. Other people, not quite so successfully. And, you know, you want, these are people's, this is the widow's might we're talking about. You, be, get, you get a lot of mileage, get a lot of fruit for your money was kind of the approach. And over time, I, I, I kind of got chafed about carrying that load. And um, I think over that same time, I started to default to a position, you come to me for money, the answer is no, unless you can really convince me. Not proud of that. That's not a way to lead a church. And um, I think it kind of saddened God a little bit, and, it, and uh, it wasn't really the best for leading people and encouraging them. Well, my overseer, the senior pastor of the place, was leading us, saying, hey, get a word from the Lord, and so we would pray and wait on the Lord. And, and I wish the Lord would come to me with words like this. Terry... I want you to go buy a 911 convertible and drive it fast. God hasn't said that word to me yet. I'm listening, though, Lord, in case. No, most of the time, in fact, all of the time, when the Lord would, would, would give to, to me, I think, a word for my life, it's something that would maybe nudge me outside of my comfort zone, right? So this, this is many years ago, and I'm, I'm off pursuing the Lord. And I'm asking the Lord, I need a word, Lord. And I mean a word, not a motto, not a sentence, not a paragraph, not a volume, a single word. Not like I was to put God in a box, but I think that's what, what, what I was, what was appropriate was a word. And I, as clearly as I could hear, the Lord spoke this word. And he says, my word for you is yes. Let me help you understand what that means, Terry. All these people coming to you, your answer to them is yes. There will be times that I will tell you say no, but your answer to them when they come will be yes. I don't like that word. <laughs> I liked it and I didn't like it because I felt like I was going to get taken advantage of. And I, and I just, you know, so I honored the word and I did it, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want them to know that somehow they got this blank check to start, you know. And over a while, I felt like the Lord, you know, would, would, would honor the Lord if they knew that this was something the Lord had spoken to me. So I shared it with all staff. I said, listen, I want you to know my word from the Lord is that for me, the answer is yes. So if you come to me, the answer is going to be yes. 
no qualifications. And what happened was the staff changed. They didn't come to me any longer with frivolous requests hoping that I would keep them on the rails. Instead, they took, took themselves to a higher level of maturity where they thought, I better not go to him unless I've heard this from God because it's our minute. Yes, it's going to be on me. And I grew and they grew and faith grew. And it was just, just such a, it was life changing for me. I did not retire that word at the end of the year. And there are leaders here who, I will say this to you all, I don't think I've had a request. I've been the pastor here for, how long have we been here for? Almost four years now. I don't think I've ever told anybody no yet. Have I? <laughs> I don't know if I have. But I really, the, the way I lead is different. Because I believe the answer is supposed to be yes, unless the Lord says no. Sounds kind of crazy. I asked the Lord for a single word and it changed me and it changed the way I ministered. A small little word made this big, huge difference in my ministry. And I don't think, I think that I would have been stunted in my growth as a leader in the kingdom if I had not gone after that word and, and obeyed it. In fact, I think listening to that word, I'm not, I don't want to brag about me, but I think it changed the way I am as a father because it spilled over. It changed the way I am as a husband. It changed the way I am as a son. When the Lord says something to me, I automatically say yes. <laughs> Try to. It's been life-changing. Just one little thing. And today, ministry is differently, different for me because my thoughts changed, so my words changed, so my actions changed. So my habits changed, so my values changed, so my destiny changed. And for me, the difference is you don't know, but it's amazing difference. Some of you know me from ministry 25 years ago. And you go, man, you are different. I'm glad for that. I'm embarrassed, but I'm glad for that. This habit of asking God for a one word has now become a routine part of my life. And I'm not rigid. It doesn't have to be on January 1st. But there's always at least one living word where the Lord is saying to me, um, and sometimes it might be two or three words. I'm not saying it can't be more than a single word. But there's always something living in me that, that I can use and come back to and say, Wait, is this in alignment with what the Lord has told me where I'm supposed to walk as a son or as a leader or as a pastor? And it comes into play in my marriage. It comes into play in my parenting. And, and God and I kind of have this understanding. Okay, we kind of have this understanding now. My part is to obey. His part is now to produce the fruit through my obedience. It's kind of like I'm not responsible to produce fruit anymore. I'm just responsible to obey. He's engineering this. He's responsible for producing. I'm responsible for obedience. It's amazing what God can do when you focus on just one very direct word. So I'm going to ask you this, you know, what's your one word going to be? And I don't want you to make up a word. I want to ask you just to somehow, this will really work best if you do this in the next six days so that next Sunday you've already got a word in your soul. I'm asking you just sometime during the week and over the course of the whole week, say, God, do you have a word for me? Because he is speaking to you, I promise you. I promise you. He's talking to you, every one of you. Some of you may not know God. Some of you may not have a relationship with God. And your word, your word is going to be something like, eternity or salvation or love where the Lord is calling you into a relationship with him that will save your soul from eternity and some of you you Christians who've been walking with the Lord a long time you know what I'm talking about incline your ear and your heart he'll speak to you and you'll hear it and here's how it's going to start off I'd say you know once you can hear and believe that you can hear the word of the Lord you're going to gain some some new confidence you will because you can hear from God. In fact, if you can hear God about this one word, you can hear about him for other things too. Should you buy? Should you sell? Should you move? Should you go? Where your kids go to school? All those things. God can guide you and direct you. So you take that word, whatever that word is, you know, faith, believe, focus, healing, discernment, discipline. 
generosity, serving, whatever, whatever it is that the Lord says. Take that word and stick it into this sentence. Faith in the Bible. Stick it into Google. And you'll get pages that will give you scriptures that have the word faith in the Bible. Pick a verse. Pick one. Because one of them will leap to you. One of them will speak to you. Maybe more of them, more than one will speak to you. And take that scripture, get out your lipstick, and write it on the mirror. If you don't have lipstick, guys, I don't know what to tell you. But um, put it on something someplace where you see it every day. You don't need to go get a tattoo, okay? I'm not telling you to get this tattooed. But put it someplace that you can see it every day. And when you wake up, there's this verse and this word looking at you, and it's going to help you focus throughout the whole year. And if your word is discipline, you're, you're you're all of a sudden you're going to be finding yourself more disciplined, doing things consistently, making wise choices. Maybe your word's extra. And you'll find yourself going the extra mile and you'll be fruit because of that. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe your word is going to be details and you're going to catch details like you haven't before and you're going to stop disappointing people or relationships or whatever. And, and, then, and then over time, somebody's going to walk up to you like I did to that guy all those years ago and say, hey, what happened to you? You're different. What did you do? What seminar did you take? What, what's the big thing that you did that has made this? I mean, because, I mean, you know, last year you were kind of, you know, fluffy. And now you're in good shape. What did you do? <laughs> or they might say, you know, you, you've really never been involved in church before. And now every time the doors open, you're there and you're talking about how God is using you and you're all filled with joy. What did you do? Or... You know, you didn't seem to have all that good, good a marriage before, and now you, you act like newlyweds. It's like sickening. What changed? <laughs> newlyweds aren't sickening, by the way. What's the big thing that you did? And you'll be able to say, you know, it really wasn't anything big. It was little things that nobody sees that have made these big differences in my life. Because you know what God loves? He loves to see small beginnings. He loves to see small beginnings because faith at work, even in small doses, can turn into big change. It's often the little things that no one sees that result in the big things that everybody wants. Let's pray.